Good morning, everybody. We actually do have a chunky section of the Bible to get through today, which is going to be in Ecclesiastes, but I'm going to start in Revelation um, with chapter 21, verse 1 to 4. Yep. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I I heard in a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then moving to Ecclesiastes, and we're reading two passages. We're starting in chapter 7 and going from verse 13 to 22, and then we're going to skip forward into chapter 8. So starting chapter 7, verse 13. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, Neither be overwise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Therefore, oh sorry, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. Skipping forward, chapter 8, starting at verse 11, and then we're going to go through to chapter 9, verse 12. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom... And to observe man's labour on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep, day or night, then I saw all that God had done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, 
man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so it is with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and, every, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is not that God favours what you do. Oh, sorry, for it is now that God favours what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningful life, meaningless life, that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot, in life and in your toilsome labour under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Thanks, Trudy, and good morning, everyone. My name's Mark. If we haven't met one of the, the pastors here, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, you're probably familiar with the the idea of karma. You, you hear people talk about it a bit, this idea that, that um, what goes around comes around, that um, good things happen to good people and uh, people who do the wrong thing get what's coming to them eventually. Now, in many ways, that's a, that's a really comforting thing to believe because we want the world to be a just and fair place. But I have to say, in my own personal experience, things often don't end up that way. Life is rarely as, as well-scripted as the movies would have us believe. Uh, the reality is that evil people often live long lives and die peaceful deaths um, without being held to account for their wickedness, while good people can, can suffer greatly and die young. Uh, can you think of a time when the, the brokenness and the injustice of the world has really hit home for you? Um, perhaps it's been as you've turned on the TV and seen what's going on in Ukraine at the moment, or Afghanistan last year, or September 11, or, or whatever it's been. Uh, perhaps it's hit home for you in a more personal way as well. 
might be the loss of a loved one or a, a medical diagnosis or, or an unfair or abusive situation that you found yourself in. Uh, the fact is that we live in a broken world, a world that, that for all its beauty is badly broken. And that, that's been the observation of the author of Ecclesiastes right from the very beginning. He's told us in, in chapter 1, what is crooked cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. And if the world is a, a crooked, broken place, then how can we ever find true meaning and lasting gain in life? This is the big question of Ecclesiastes. Can we find meaning in life? Uh, and the teacher who writes this book, he comes across as a bit of a pessimist, doesn't he, as we, as we read through Because he's talking about life being meaningless and it, and it being like chasing the wind. But he's simply in tune with the, the deep desire in his heart for a sense of meaning and fulfilment that life just isn't providing. He's um, making all these observations about the, the brokenness of the world, and, and they're confronting observations, but they're honest. And even 3,000 years later, they ring true for us today. We have to face up to the brokenness of the world that we live in before we can understand the beauty of what God is going to bring about. And the first thing that stands out in these chapters is that the world is unjust. Uh, we read in chapter 7, the teacher tells us, in this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. The teacher does not believe in karma, right? He's, he's seen with his own eyes that the world simply does not work that way. He sees wicked people being praised. He sees people who are encouraged to do evil because they can see that they can get away with it. And there is something else, he says, meaningless, that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. And all, all that he can conclude from this is that life is meaningless. If good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, then life is unjust. And maybe that's been your observation as well. We want to see justice being done, but, but so often the world just doesn't seem to work that way. The world is unjust. And it's also unpredictable. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, says the teacher, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. So not even the, the best plans or the best preparation can guarantee us success. Life is unpredictable. It's unstable. Um, which is why the teacher gives this, this really interesting advice. I don't, don't know if you were confused as you read this. I certainly was when I read it the first time, wondering what he's, what he's talking about here, where he says, Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. I think what he's saying here is that um, it's not good to be wicked or foolish, but at, the, but at the same time, don't assume that being a good and wise person is going to guarantee you a, a, a prosperous, pain-free life. We've got to be realistic about what the world that we live in is like. There is one predictable thing 
in life, though, and, that, and that's the reality of death. And yet even death is, is cruelly unpredictable. No one knows when their hour will come, says the teacher. No one can delay the time of their death any more than they can stop the wind from blowing. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad. The same destiny overtakes each one of them. So as, as the teacher is searching for, for meaning and for satisfaction in life, once again, the reality of death gets in the way. How can life have any substantial meaning or, or purpose or satisfaction if death is one day going to end it once and for all? So the world is a broken place, the teacher is saying. It's unjust, it's unpredictable, and it's tainted by death. So pretty, pretty negative message so far, but he says we have hope even in a broken world. So right throughout Ecclesiastes, the teacher has been talking about life under the sun. That's, that's the name that he gives to it. And, and what he's talking about there is a life that is based purely on what we can see, what we can touch, what we can observe with our own eyes and our own senses. So basically leaving God out of the picture. And he's asking as, as he writes this book, does this worldview satisfy the desires within me? Does it help me to, to comprehend what I see around me in the world? Um, so how does this view of life under the sun help us to understand a, a broken, unjust, unpredictable world where, where death is the only certainty? Well, it reminds us to enjoy life. This is what he tells us. He says, I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. And he, he puts it even more bluntly in the next chapter, in chapter 9. He, he says to us, eat your food, drink your wine, and enjoy your wife all the days of your meaningless, toilsome life. Enjoy it while you're alive because you can't when you're dead. That's the kind of blunt message that we've come to expect throughout Ecclesiastes. And maybe you're here this morning and that is essentially your view of life. The world is a beautiful place, but it's a messed up place as well. We, we live, we die, and it's all over. Enjoy it while you can. What the teacher is, is trying to do here is to, to lay this worldview bare and, and to ask, does it honestly satisfy the longings and the desires within us? Um, is this really all there is to life? Don't you think there could be more? Would you want there to be more? See, the teacher thinks that there, there is more. And the, the moments of hope that we get in what is generally a pretty, a pretty somber read in Ecclesiastes comes in those moments when he allows his gaze to go beyond the sun and when he brings God into the picture. And what we see is that even in the brokenness, God is still in control. Consider what God has done the teacher says. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? So we're seeing that even, even the crookedness of life, even the brokenness of the world, falls under God's control. He's the one who has subjected the world to its broken state for now. But the teacher believes that 
a day is coming when things are going to be set right. This is what he says in, in chapter 8. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long life, I know that it will, be, it will go better for those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Justice will be done, he says. It's going to work out well for God's people. Uh, but there's another confronting observation that the teacher makes about the state of the world. The problem with the world, he says, is us. We are what's wrong with the world. He tells us there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Uh, now, this is, this is a dire assessment of the state of humanity, isn't it? But, but it's, it's consistent with the rest of the Bible. And if we're being honest, it's consistent with the world around us as we observe what goes on. And, and if we're being really brutally honest, it, it lines up with what we know is true about ourselves as well. We all know the worst things about ourselves. I mean, if you, if you have this sort of scary image in your head, just imagine if a, a movie was being played in the front of the church, a movie of your life, everything you've thought, said, done, laid, laid bare before everyone. It is, it's a terrifying thought to have. And when we visualize that, we, we, get, we get a true sense of our own brokenness as well. Because all of us at a heart level have wandered away from the God who created us to love him. We, we read in Ecclesiastes, God created mankind upright, but they've gone in search of many schemes. And this is what the Bible calls sin. It's a relational issue. It's choosing to reject God's perfect ways that he's created us for and to do things my way instead. And because of sin, our, our relationships with with each other, with the world around us, and most importantly, our relationship with God are broken. We'll never be able to straighten life out. There will always be loose ends that we won't be able to tie up in life. It makes sense that if, if God created us, if he made us to, to live in a particular way, that, that things would go wrong if we decide to, to live differently. Because literally, we're, we're throwing the manufacturer's instructions out the window if we do that. It's a bit like if, if I refuse to put oil in my car, if I just thought to myself, you know what, Mazda have got no right to tell me how to, how to operate and maintain my car. It's not going to end well. If it, well, it, it didn't end well when I, <laughs> when I tried that once. Um, but understanding the brokenness of the world means understanding my own sin. Uh, it means realizing that in my own strength, and my own goodness, I stand guilty before God because I haven't lived up to his perfect standards. We, we look around the world and we, we see a broken world and it, and it grieves us as we, as we see it, but, but things aren't just broken out there. Things are broken in here as well. The Bible shows us that, that all sin is serious. All sin separates us from God. Even if my sin doesn't seem as bad as the next person's sin. So even, even as we shake our heads at, at the brokenness of the world around us, as we wonder what, how other people can live the way that they live, 
we know that we're not perfect ourselves. Now, this, this idea of sin isn't flattering to us, is it? It, it doesn't pump up our self-esteem. In fact, let's be honest, it's, it's offensive because sin is basically telling us that, that we're not good enough. Nobody loves the thought that they're a sinner. Nobody loves the thought that they're not good enough. I know I don't. And yet, what the Bible tells us about sin explains the world's brokenness in a way that the under-the-sun language of Ecclesiastes just can't. See, everyone, regardless of what your worldview is, everyone knows that the world is a, a broken, unjust, unpredictable place. We, we watch the news. We, we deal with difficult people. We, we experience grief and heartache in our own lives. We, we all know this. The Bible gives us the reason why. But more than that, it gives us hope beyond this brokenness as well. It, it gives us the promise that justice is going to be done. Evil will be punished. But if no person is truly good and all evil is going to be punished, then, then we have to ask ourselves, is this really good news? Because justice is great when it's happening to Hitler. It's great when it's happening to the, the kid who bullied me in, in high school. It's, it's great when it's happening to the, the speeding driver who drives past me and gets a, gets a speeding ticket. But it's not so great when I'm in the firing line. What the teacher didn't realize when he, when he wrote this book was that hundreds of years later, God was going to give the ultimate demonstration both of his justice, but also of his great love. And he was going to do that by sending his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to bear the punishment for our sin so that we don't have to, so that I can be right with God, not, not because I've earned it by being a good person, because the Bible is clear that I could never do that, but because Jesus has earned on my behalf what I never could. See, on the cross... Jesus is saying to you, I know the worst things about you. I know the things you've, you've thought, you've said, you've done, that you're utterly ashamed of, the things that you don't want anyone else to know. I know those things, but I still love you, enough to die for you. And there's nothing, nothing you've done, no part of you too broken that Jesus' blood isn't enough to cover. All evil is going to be punished with perfect justice. And if we've trusted in Jesus, then the judgment that we deserve is not going to fall on our head because it's already been taken by Jesus on the cross. Which means that we have the joy and the privilege of sharing in this new heaven and new earth that we read about in, in our Revelation reading, where there will be no more tears, there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. The old order of things has passed away. And what a wonderful hope that is to look forward to in a broken world. A day when everything sad is going to become untrue. It's all about perspective. See, when we, when we look at life under the sun, we see a broken world. 
a world of great beauty, no doubt, a world where humans are at times kind, caring and, and selfless in many ways. And yet the brokenness is undeniable. The world is unjust, it's unpredictable, and it's tainted by death. When we look beyond the sun and when we bring God into the picture, things, well, things seem worse at first because we see that our sin is the root cause of the world's brokenness. But God has provided the perfect solution to sin. He's made a way for justice to be done and for sinful people to be saved so that we can look forward to a day when the pain and the brokenness is no more, as difficult as that might be to imagine right now. It's a beautiful hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, But how does it help us right now? How, How does it help us deal with justice and well, how does it help us to think about evil and injustice in the world right now? How does it help us to live in an unjust world? Well, I want to give four quick thoughts on that to finish this morning. Firstly, we should long for justice. We should long for that day when God will set things right, when pain will be no more. The brokenness and the, the injustice of this world, whether, whether we're enduring it ourselves or whether we're, we're seeing other people go through it, it should stir up in us a longing for that day when God will straighten what has been made crooked, when he will punish evil. And secondly, where it's possible, we should seek justice now. Justice is something that God delights in. And knowing that he's going to set things right one day, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't pursue justice before then. Now, I don't mean going out and taking revenge on people who have committed injustice, but, but I mean seeking to alleviate people who are being denied justice right now. And, th- and that might look different for, for different ones of us. It, it might mean standing up for the kid who's getting picked on at school, even though we know that we'll cop a bit of flack for it. It might mean praying and, or partnering financially with an organisation like open doors or or someone like that who support persecuted Christians around the world. Uh, We've got a, we're hoping in the next few weeks to confirm a new mission partner that we're going to be taking on as we conclude our partnership with the Prince this month. And the the new partner that we're hoping to take on is someone who is is working really hard overseas to, to bring about justice to people who are being denied. I was really hoping I'd be able to share who it was as part of part of this sermon, but just Wait a few weeks and we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, so thirdly, our desire for justice should humble us. Because the gospel shows me that I am a sinner deserving of God's judgment. It's only by the grace of God through Jesus that, that I'm spared. The cross shows me that I do not have any excuse whatsoever for feeling, feeling superior to anyone, no matter how they might be acting. And lastly, we should trust God when we see or experience injustice. There's no better example of this than Jesus himself. We, we see injustice all around us in the world, but the greatest act of injustice ever was the death of Jesus, the perfect son of God being murdered. And yet we, we read in the book of 1 Peter that when, when Jesus 
was on the cross dying for our sins, as people around him hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He's our example in suffering. Um, so, so how do we navigate a broken and unjust world? Well, firstly, by acknowledging the brokenness, by recognizing sin as the cause, but knowing that in the worst of it, God is still in control. And knowing the solution that God has provided at great cost, his love for us, which has been proven beyond measure, and awaiting the hope that we have beyond this lifetime. And we've talked about the, the brokenness of the world and, and how death is a big part of that brokenness. Next week we'll be, we'll be looking a bit more in depth at the topic of death and, and we'll be thinking about the hope that Jesus gives us in the face of death. So I hope you can join us then. I'm going to pray for us. <laughs> Our sovereign and caring God. We, we look around us, just like the writer of Ecclesiastes did, and we see a broken world. We feel the brokenness in our lives. And we know that you care deeply for us as you see your creation struggling and as you see us suffering. And we praise you that in Jesus you are bringing about a day when there will be no more pain or suffering. And we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on that coming day and trust you every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen.